several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter and I'm going to wander into a subject today that is one of my absolute favorite things to talk about but also to do which is getting creative with wine, playing with wine, taking wine beyond where it was supposed to go which a lot of people are doing And I have a very special guest on the show today. His name is Aaron Polsky. And Aaron is currently a master mixologist, although, Aaron, I think you would find that a little lofty, right, that title? Yeah, I wouldn't go around calling myself that, but by all means. Well, look at all of the places you've been. You're at Harvard and Stone right now, which is a five-time Spirited Award nominee. And this is a rock and roll bar in Hollywood, right? Yeah, so it's um, it's in Hollywood. It's a, a neighborhood bar that also has live rock and roll bands, amazing cocktails. It's really uh, special, uh, pretty unique. So on a hip scale, where would you put it? <laughs> I'd probably knock myself down if I said it was at the top of the scale. So I'll just sort of like take a modest approach and invite you to uh, to find yourself, find find your own uh, number there. You know, come visit. You're, you're not going to commit. <laughs> okay. Hey, tell me some of the places where you've been. You know, you and I want to be clear here, you, you deal in cocktails, but, you know, beer, wine, everything, right? It's all part of your job. Yeah, um, I've been in the hospitality business since I was 18, so I guess that puts me at around 12 years or so now started at Thomas Keller's Bouchon Bakery in New York. Uh, I was on the opening team there. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you at 18 years old, start working for Thomas Keller? That's amazing. Well, That's amazing. <laughs> I was in college, and I wanted a job in the restaurant, and um, I'd always really been interested in food and in restaurants, and so I actually applied to Per Se, which is their three Michelin, four New York Times star restaurant in the same building in New York. Well, I applied to Per Se, and I also applied to Applebee's. And it was, <laughs> um, it was uh, like around <laughs> November, December of my freshman year of school. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't control myself with that one. <laughs> Thomas Keller or Applebee's? You know, nothing against yeah, Applebee's. You know. I like Applebee's just fine, but they're you know, they're different kinds of restaurants for sure. You either, you either aim for the top or you work your way up from the bottom. Uh, not that Applebee's is the bottom, but no, it's no, certainly no, it's just a, different, a totally it's a different, different. It's a different audience. Different audience, yeah. I've, 
yeah, at the time I had sort of no idea of how that industry works. I figured, you know, they'd train somebody up. Applebee's told me to come back after the holiday season because they were too busy and they needed people with experience and per se responded and told me that per se is a full-time job, which I couldn't do, but that they were opening. Um, and they're great. They do train people from no experience, you know, and they make some amazing hospitality professionals out of it. But they were opening a cafe a floor below. Let me interrupt you there for just one second because I think that's an interesting concept in business in general is the idea that, yeah, you could bring in the very top, but for but there there's room to bring in people who are fresh and who are a blank canvas, right? And yeah. you teach them your way and they don't bring in bad habits. I think that's an interesting concept, and is especially in the hospitality industry. Right, and it's, it's more and more common amongst the top echelon of bars and restaurants. Um, you know, while at the same time, sometimes those restaurants need somebody who can, especially with bartending, because it's so much more than following the steps of service. It's really handling your crowd and handling the room more so. You know, anybody can learn the drinks, but it's that experience that, is sort of, you can't really substitute that. Your resume is really, really solid. You've been to just a, a, an enormous number of really top restaurants, and you know we probably can't get into all of them, but maybe you could point out a couple of them that you know kind of opened your eyes in terms of the potential for uh, adult beverages. And where did you find that finally opened your eyes and said, gosh, the sky's the limit. There's no limit to what we could do. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that got me into wine was at Bouchon, Paul Roberts at the time was Thomas Keller's beverage director. He's a master sommelier. I don't know where he is now. I know he did bond estates for a while, but his method of education was just amazing. You know, it really brought you in regardless of your experience level or comfort. And that got me into wine, which was its own little path for a minute. But I worked at a restaurant called Taylor. So I became very enamored with the cocktail industry in New York around 2006 to 2008. And that was the time when Death & Co. was opening and PDT was opening and Milk and Honey had been open for like five or six years. But I went and I started working at this place, Taylor, where the beverage program was run by Eben Freeman, who had come from WD-50. And he was doing stuff then that was advanced even now. So the concept of spherification, which modernist chefs use, where you essentially combine two chemicals, natural, but, you know, two, two chemicals with a liquid to sort of form these little tapioca-like spheres. He would do that. He would make this mojito that was spherified mint and spherified lime, and they would pop in your mouth and the rest of it was crystal clear, and he incorporated this xanthan gum, which essentially allowed for a buoyancy improvement for these like spheres to float around and also distributed in the glass. It was just really cool stuff. And in 2007, it was such an amazing thing to see. So he really opened my eyes to stuff like that. Let's go back over to wine for a second, because when you're in these really fine restaurants that are doing cutting-edge things... It's not really acceptable, is it, to you know have just bulk mainstream wine behind the bar? How attentive were these restaurants to the quality of wine that they were serving to their patrons alongside those cocktails that were so 
you know, cutting edge. You know, they were curating an entire experience. And so you didn't have to come in there to drink cocktails and you didn't have to come in there to have an entire tasting menu or the wine pairings or anything like that. But the wines that were offered were curated and just really good. They were frequently focused towards, I guess we'd call it craft and beer spirits, but towards the grower producer and the, and the world of wine. So it would, it would be the boutique producers that you were focused on? You know, this, yeah. The smaller wineries yeah. that were doing really interesting things with wine. Yeah. You know, and we could do that because these were, these are restaurants where people, they were almost destinations, you know, and some of, some of the restaurants were shooting for stars too. So, you know, with that comes, if not an expansive wine list, a very thought out and curated list. Well, well, this raises a really interesting question because if you've got a bar that is, is doing all of this really, you know, otherworldly kind of stuff with spirits and you've got beer and you've got wine as well, and you have somebody, let's say a celebrity type person come to the bar, you know, generally speaking, I think there's a sense in the world that the bartender's not going to know as much about the wine as the sommelier might. Were you required to have a higher knowledge of wine for those people who, you know, are coming and they're, open, they're, they're ordering a cocktail for one person and a glass of wine for somebody else. Uh, how, how, did, how did that come down in those restaurants? Typically restaurants like that, going hand in hand with uh, the curated experience, the training and the expectation of knowledge was high and encapsulated all aspects of the beverage program and the food. So we had to know what we were serving. And as is common with many restaurants, if it ended up being a bottle selection that we hadn't tasted or weren't familiar with. We could always call the psalm from behind the bar to come and, and you know, um, guide those guests. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so we're going to come back in just a second, Aaron. We're talking to Aaron Polsky. He is uh, known for progressive and creative cocktail programs that demonstrate a reverence for the classics while showing an infinity for the modern. But he does a lot of stuff with wine, too, and I really thought it would be fun to talk about how wine is crossing over into the spirit world as well, and it becomes an ingredient and part of something that never existed before. So we're going to get into that when we return with Grape Encounters and my guest, Aaron Polsky, right after this. No good story about wine deserves to be bottled up. Committed to uncorking a new wine story every day is your host, David Wilson, right after this. We like to talk about wine. Hi, it's David Wilson. And if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more 
at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get yours shipped right away at mmorganics.com. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. Hey, we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and special guest Aaron Polsky. He's really about cocktails, but there's a wine twist to this story that I want to share with you. Uh, I I should say that I just wrote an article for a uh, wine publication that heavily went into the idea of wine blending and doing more with wine than just drinking it uh, straight from the bottle. And so it's been on my mind a lot. And I heard about Aaron. Uh, he's at Harvard and Stone, which is a five-time Spirited Award nominee and consistently recognized as one of the best bars in the uh, Southern California area. It's very hip, and he wants me to come there and rate it on the hip scale. But <laughs> a very hip place, you know. It's it's one of those places to go and be seen, and they really do some amazing things there. You can Google them. Easy to find. Uh, again, it's uh, Harvard and Stone. Uh, Aaron, let's talk about you know the crossover between wine and cocktails or even wine and beer. Tell me how you're using wine in creative ways. Well, you know, I think to start out, the most classic use of wine in a cocktail is as vermouth. And it's something that most people don't really think about, but vermouth is an all of its sort of cousin product. So you've got Lillet and Kina and Americano and all these sort of more boutique small ones, but vermouth is a type of aromatized fortified wine. And that most traditionally, it'll be used in a martini with dry vermouth or a Manhattan or a Negroni is going to be sweet vermouth. So as long as cocktails have been a thing, a culture, a wine has always been used in that. But there are so many more possibilities. So sherry is in the last few years commonly used as a modifier. So the thing about wine is it provides acidity and it provides sort of this like savory characteristic and a distinct flavor. Of course, in, you know, in sherry with the, the floor aging and sometimes the oxidative qualities, that adds a lot to the cocktail and can pair with other spirits really well. Well, so, so going back, I don't want to get too far away from the subject of vermouth for a second. Have you ever experimented with creating your own vermouth or at least aromatizing wines to create something that becomes part of another concoction? Yeah, so I've been around it, and I've also made it in a pretty unique way. So I worked at a bar called the Moria Margo in New York, which was a bitters bar. So everything had some sort of bitters in it, but one of the 
founders used to make our house vermouth and we would serve it on draft. So that was really cool. And I made it with them a couple of times, but essentially what it would be was we would take those botanicals and rather than, so typically when you make vermouth, you steep botanicals in the wine and then fortify it with brandy and sweetener to get it to somewhere, you know, of a higher percentage, like around 17 or 18% and stabilize it a little bit. What he would do was steep those botanicals in the brandy resulting in a faster extraction and the more stable one because it's a higher proof and then strain them off, mix a much higher volume of wine with it and then sweeten it. But that actually served me. Uh, I work with a non-alcoholic spirit as well. It's called seed lift. And we have made a drink for it called the Negroni, which is a non-alcoholic Negroni. And part of the challenge there was to make a non-alcoholic vermouth. And yeah, how do you I've do actually, that? So rather than using a spirit, we use glycerin to extract. Um, and glycerin is a natural thing. It comes from plants. And it comes out as what feels and looks like this very heavy syrup, but is actually kind of, it's sticky and sort of slippery at the same time. And it's about 40% less sweet than an equivalent sugar syrup. So we would soak the botanicals in glycerin, allow that to extract, sometimes applying heat, and then adding that base to a sweetener and to verjus, which is the juice of underripe grapes. Wow. So essentially that provided the tartaric acid that wine innately has in it <clears throat> that comes from the grapes, and it provides that grape quality. But you don't ferment it. No, yeah, yeah. So we don't. Wow. It's it's not fermented because it, the drink needs to stay non-alcoholic. Yeah, and, and so vermouth is a really interesting thing. So how much does it? Uh, I've never tasted that. How much does it taste like vermouth? A lot. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I based it off a few different recipes that I gathered and tweaked it here and there. But you know, if you know the base aromatics that go into a sweet vermouth. And then, you know, I wanted mine to mimic Antica formula, which became sort of like the de rigueur sweet vermouth in cocktail bars. And it's what's called the vermouth a la vanille. So it has vanilla in it, which is not universal amongst vermouths. And it's a small quantity. And probably if nobody told you, you wouldn't automatically assume, hey, this vermouth has vanilla. But this is one traditional formula that happens to use it. So adding all of the components and then, you know, of course, we eat and drink with our eyes. So the thing about sweet vermouth is that it's not a red wine base. It's a white wine base, right. but it has caramel coloring in it. Right. And that's an across-the-board thing. So, you know, breaking it down into its component parts and introducing the right amount of caramel coloring and pouring a glass of Antica and a glass of this vermouth and tweaking and tweaking and writing it down every time, you know. And finally getting this formula that looks like it, that has the same viscosity from the sugar and the, and the glycerin, has that same aromatic profile using the best herbs that I can. Yeah, it was really cool. So, so do people sometimes buy the, that by itself, the vermouth by itself, and just sip on that? Or does it really need to be mixed with something else? Well, it's something that is – you mean vermouth on its own or this non-alcoholic one? The non-alcoholic one. That's not for sale currently. It's just when we just do the these events yeah. with seed lips. What, what, about, what, about, what yeah. about vermouth? Are, are, are people drinking vermouth straight? Because I love vermouth by itself. And, and there was a time when that's, that's what people did with it, when they actually drank it by itself. And it seems to be making a comeback. But what, is, what about it from your perspective? So, you know, as anybody who went to a bar in Europe 
and asked for a glass of vermouth, or asked for a martini on the rocks, knows people do drink vermouth on the rocks. And that's common in, in France and in Spain, and they order it by its brand name, martini. So in the U.S., it's a thing that people sometimes do. I think beverage directors try to push it more than guests are asking for it. But uh, if you go to, you know, like a progressive Italian restaurant uh, or, you know, like a prominent Italian restaurant, so like Moza, which is Nancy Silverton's place here in L.A., right. um, they have a variety of removes on the rocks or that you can drink however you want. All right, let's uh, let's uh, take a quick break here for a second. We're talking to Aaron Polsky. As you can see, if you've been listening, he is a wealth of knowledge. He's, he's worked at a number of the top restaurants in the country and worked with some of the finest names in the business. His thing is cocktails, but wine is a big part of what he's doing. When we come back, we'll talk about other ways of combining wine with other things and see how creative they get over there at Harvard and Stone, where he's at right now, which is a highly acclaimed uh, restaurant and bar, rock and roll bar. I guess we call it rock and roll bar. Is that right? Yeah, it's like a rock and roll cocktail neighborhood bar. There you so go. Many things. Neighborhood bar. Okay. And we'll be back in just a second. So stay with us. sometimes say it's the wine talking well everyone knows that wine can't talk that's why a bunch of graves got together and hired david wilson to do the talking for them (laughs) david will uncork today's story after this For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Hi, it's David Wilson. And if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us. 
Talking winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. Broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero. Centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and if there's one thing that's for certain, the spirit world, the adult beverage world, I should really say, is not what it used to be. This is not your mother and father's beverage world. Bars aren't the same. Wines aren't the same. Beers aren't the same. Everything has changed, and that's partly the responsibility of guys like Aaron Polsky, who is my guest today. He's currently at Harvard and Stone, which is a very famous, we'll call it neighborhood bar, but it's uh, highly acclaimed. that There's so much that's been written about them in the media, but he's also worked with the likes of Thomas Keller and has really just worked with some of the top people in both the wine industry and the spirit industry. We've been talking about some interesting twists on wine, but now, Aaron, I I wanted to get into other ways that you tinker with wine and how it can be used in other contexts. So there are a lot of fun, creative things to do. You can always make, and this is something I like to do from time to time, you can make a simple syrup using wine instead of water. So that provides just like... It'll provide the character of whatever grape or wine you try to use, and it's just a more complex sweetener to use in a cocktail. So how do you do that, and, and could somebody do that at home? Yeah, it's pretty easy. One of my favorite ways to use it is if we have a bottle of champagne that unfortunately goes flat, that's a good way to reuse it and give it some more life and stability and add some complexity to a drink. But oh, really I, I, I got um, to hear this because I have tossed so much flat champagne. Because I can't drink oh, it when, yeah. when it's flat, and, and especially because uh, we do own a, a wine bar, we throw out a ton of champagne. So what, what can I do with it? Sure. So essentially, it's combining an equal weight of wine and sugar. So, I mean, if you do volume, it's not going to be too off, but I highly recommend that you use a scale and weigh them. But that's a simple syrup. So when you read simple syrup, it's going to be one-to-one by weight of water to sugar. So you combine them over a scale, and you've got your sweetener. You just stir it cold uh, or room temperature uh, with a whisk until it's all incorporated. And if you were to combine it with a spirit, you would do two ounces of whatever your spirit of choice, you know, like a vodka or a gin, and then three quarters of an ounce of your sweetener and three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice and shake that up, maybe top it with soda. Does the sugar stabilize it so that it has a lifespan? Yeah, it won't necessarily prevent it from oxidizing, but it will stabilize it. And it'll have a lifespan of, you know, it also does have alcohol in it. So there is that component to stabilize it. But one of my favorite ways to reuse ingredients that you would otherwise throw away is that if you treat it as something new as opposed to something that you're trying to save, you can use it in a different way. So at this point, you're not trying to drink this on its own, you know, by the glass. You're using it as an ingredient. And so it'll last a longer time with that sort of perspective on it. So would I refrigerate that? It would last a lot longer if it's in the refrigerator. Yeah. And try to keep the air out of the bottle if you can. You know, and by the way, that's a trick that a lot of people don't know. Let's say you drink a half a bottle of wine. If you've got a smaller bottle, it doesn't have to be a wine bottle. Pour that wine into the bottle all the way to the top and close it and the wine will be just fine. It's the, you know, the air that you let into the bottle that causes the problem. And if you don't have a wine preservation system like a Coravin or something like that, this is a really good way to do it. Yeah. What about wine cocktails? You know, if you go to certain 
restaurants that just have a beer and wine license. You're, you're commonly seeing, you know, a lot of different things, wine Mai Tais, wine margaritas. Is there a demand for that in places like yours? Um, well, we have a full license, so we don't necessarily need to do that. But what you do see in bars like that is also a wide use of soju and sake. Yes. So yes. you'll see things like, you know, sake mules, right, where you'll have the ginger and the lime, but instead of using vodka, you'll use uh, sake or soju, which is 24% alcohol and is treated, interestingly enough, like wine in terms of licensing in New York. So you'll see these basically half-proof mojitos or mules or whatever, and sometimes they'll use shiso, which is cool. But yeah, there's a lot you can do with it. You know, I, I, I've wondered about that. I haven't done it myself, but the, the soju is basically a wine. And it's rice-based, right? Wine is sort of a misnomer in both soju and sake. Sake is closer to a beer, and soju is closer to a low-alcohol vodka. Sake, the rice will be milled to a certain percentage and then fermented in the presence of a mold. They'll convert the starches to sugars and a yeast at the same time. They'll convert those sugars to alcohol. So in that sense, it's very much like a beer. Soju is distilled from a number of different things, barley, sesame sometimes, rice. But yes, those are great. It's very interesting, though, because the wine distributors are more and more pushing the soju, and wine bars can sell that, and it's you know it's pretty high in alcohol, but it's right under what is legal for a wine bar to sell. So, you know, they get away you – know, I say get away with it, but, you know, they're allowed to do that. But I wonder, you know, because if you, put a, if you put a shot of something that's 40 proof in a glass and you put two shots of something that's, you know, 28 proof in a glass, you actually have a, a higher alcohol drink, do you not? Yeah. It's, it's self-defeating. You know, especially it's, if you're drinking shots. Yeah. It goes down pretty quick, you know? <laughs> it's really – you know, the laws don't make any sense to me, but, you know, who am I? I'm just a broadcaster here. I've made some really delicious wine margaritas. Oh, cool. Usually every summer I, I give my recipe because it's such a simple recipe. I just take one of those cans of lemonade, you know, the frozen lemonade cans that you, you know, it's sure. frozen and then you put it in, add it in water. But instead of that, I add a oat Chardonnay to that can of lemonade and squeeze in a bunch of limes. And if you want to, a little triple sec. And that's it. That's all it takes. For some reason, it comes out tasting like a margarita and it's really good. And I've tried it on people professionals and they go they have no idea that it was made with wine it's the craziest thing but oak oh that's so funny oak is important though because that oak for some reason in that context sort of gives you that dark tequila sort of sensation but it actually really works any other interesting wine drinks we're running out of time that you work with yeah um I want to go back to sake. You know, there was one that I did a while back at Netta that I've brought back a few times. We have a bar called R&D Bar in the back where we write a new menu every day. So since we've been open, it's been seven and a half years, we've probably had like around 11, 11 and a half thousand drinks there. But I'll use sake as a modifier the same way we would use it for moves. So maybe like two ounces of a Japanese whiskey and then an ounce of sake. It makes for a very interesting like Manhattan style drink. But sake is really good for that. It's, it's a little bit rounder than an unoaked white wine, which is interesting that you brought up the oak because the feel fermented wines are very dry and very high. Or the tartaric acid, it's very apparent there, so they can really throw off a drink. But if you use something that's aged or mellowed, that can help. Another thing we do is we use these wine syrups or these grape syrups from Wine Grapes. This is producer Domaine Sante, and they make a Bordeaux red syrup out of Cabernet and Merlot. They do a Bordeaux Blanc from Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc, and they do, a, I believe it's a Riesling or Gewürz, and they're 
non-alcoholic, but they're these, these syrups that, you know, are incredibly complex and are these really cool modifiers. So we use those as well. You know, one of the things that we've talked about a few times on the show is martinis that are made with ice wine. Oh, cool. And that's something, that's something very popular in the Northeast, where they have the great ice wines that come from upstate New York and also the Niagara region up there. And all it is is equal parts of vodka and ice wine, which is, if you're not familiar with it, a very sweet wine, very delicious, works really, really well. Yeah, I mean, anything like that, a white, an ice wine or a Trockenberry Schlesser or anything like that is going to be, <clears throat> it's very sweet, but it's also very high in acid. So it's very balanced. So using them in cocktails is pretty easy because you don't have to adjust the other ingredients around them. You don't have to adjust the acid or the sweetener. But by acid, I mean the fresh lemon or lime juice. So I can see how that would work really well. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I'd love to try one. All right, we've been very focused on wine. We just have like 30 seconds left the most unusual thing, it doesn't have to be wine, but just the most unusual thing you've ever created. <laughs> oh, man. You know, last night in my R&D menu, I made a sweet potato syrup, and it was like a, a rum cocktail with fat, a couple of different types of rum, and that sweet potato, and that was really good. Um, <laughs> Where does that come from? I make. <laughs> let's make a sweet potato syrup. Yeah, well... Is, that, is it just your imagination? Can you Can you taste ingredients in your head? Do you concoct them in your head? I know it's going to taste like this if I do this. At this point, you know, if you've done anything long enough, you sort of have an instinctual understanding of where it'll go. And I definitely test out the drinks, but yeah, you know what flavors work together. So that I'll usually start for those menus with a non-alcoholic cool ingredient and then move from there. Yeah, did like a toasted sesame orgeat last week, which was cool. Keep incorporating the wine in there, you know, because there's more to wine than just drinking it straight out of the glass. And uh, it is very versatile. And you know, obviously, it's finding its way into bars in different forms and different ways. And I sure appreciate you being on here. Thanks for having me on. Aaron Polsky. He is at Harvard and Stone. If you're in the L.A. area, Google it. Check it out. It's a, a much-talked-about venue with great music, great cocktails, great wine. All right. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. I swear, I'm going over there. As soon as I get down to L.A., I'm going to Harvard and Stone. you got to tell me how cool it is. At no time were any animals harmed during the making of today's show. However, countless grapes were crushed and mutilated. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then, I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get yours shipped right away at mmorganics.com. 
For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. Thanks for sticking with me for this hour. Really appreciate you listening. By the way, really appreciate those of you who have been listening for the past 10 years. Can you believe it? We have been on the radio for 10 years. This was supposed to be a mistake. Actually, it was, it was really just a challenge. I just went on for a couple of weeks uh, as a dare, mostly. And then the next thing you know, I changed careers, and I've been doing Grape Encounters ever since. And I really appreciate all of you that have hung with us all these many years. I know that there are some of you out there that have been with me for, gosh, every single episode that we have done. A number of you that have actually quit your jobs and gotten into winemaking. <laughs> I, I don't know why you trusted me, but I hope you're having fun with that all the same. Thank you very much for doing that. That's that's quite a compliment. I've had some of those wines, and I'm so proud of you guys. Really, so proud of you guys. I'm so proud to be doing Grape Encounters, by the way. It has been an honor to be able to serve you. And uh, this is not a sign-off, by the way. It sounds like it, the way I'm talking. But no, we're going strong. And by the way, we're launching a brand spanking new podcast that is going to have some very different information than what we do on Grape Encounters Radio. It's going to be a deeper dive into some of the subjects that we get into. It's going to be called The Wine is Talking. You know, what would the wine say if it could do all the talking instead of me? What would it want you to know? Anyway, The Wine is Talking is going to be coming in the next couple of weeks, and uh, be looking for it. It'll be available at all the usual places like TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes. You can also find Grape Encounters episodes there as well. And uh, if you've missed an episode of Grape Encounters, be sure to check that out because, you know, we've got, let's see, I'm, I'm thinking... Uh, pretty close to 450 episodes in the can by now. A lot of really interesting interviews that we've done over time with a lot of really interesting people. So, you know, if you've missed something, you should definitely go back and, and check. And if there's a, a topic that you're interested in, you can just put it in the search bar. We put up a really good search engine on grapeencounters.com. You can just uh, go to the search engine and search to your heart's content. You'll find pretty much anything you can think of pertaining to wine there. So anyway, uh, just a, a little bit of news, also a little bit of news that you might want to know. You know, I talk about wines all the time on Grape Encounters that I like, and uh, I never want to commercialize Grape Encounters. It's never been my intent to do that. But I will tell you this, that we do sell 
wines that we love. And uh, we've always really pretty much limited that to the Grape Encounters Emporium. But if you're interested in the, the wines that we talk about, the ones that are, you know, great values, great wines, you can go to grapeencounters.com. There's a link to our store there, and you can just go check out some wines that I think you might like to try. You know, no obligation. I, I don't want to turn this into an infomercial ever. But if you ever want to try some of the things that I'm personally drinking that I really like, uh, you're going to find those wines there. We just started doing this. We're really excited about that. You can even jo join our wine club. But uh, again, let's not make it about that. Let's make it about uh, you being able to take away information that is really going to make your wine life a little bit better. Anyway, we, we've been talking uh, for the past uh, three segments about, you know, how to use wine in some different ways. And I have to think that there is no beverage on planet Earth that is more versatile than wine. There are so many things you can do with wine. I, it's been a long time since I talked about the fact that you can use wine to do some things that you would never even imagine you could use wine to do. One of my favorite stories is I was at uh, some friend's house, and they invited me over for dinner, and I brought the wine. It was a red wine. And we dined in their living room, and they had this perfectly white carpet. It was so white. I would never have a carpet like that in my house because I don't take my shoes off when I go into the house. It's not because I, I don't care about how clean my carpets are. It's just that I have a carpet cleaner, and I'm lazy. So, you know, after a while, I just shampoo my carpets. But anyway, I was making a gesture right in the middle of dinner, and danged if I didn't just send my, my glass of red wine flying across the room, and there was a four-foot-long streak of red wine across my friend's beautiful, pristine, uh, perfectly clean white carpet. And it was very embarrassing. Uh, but um, so they were freaking out about what to do. And I said, uh, well, this is really easy. Do you have any white wine in the house? And they said, what? And I said, they thought that perhaps I meant that uh, I, I should probably be drinking white wine because it would not be so invasive, right? Uh, but that's not what I meant. Anyway, uh, I asked them a couple of times and finally they brought some white wine out and I, I took the white wine and I proceeded to pour it on the red wine stain on the carpet. They gasped until they started to see their red wine stain disappear. Yeah, it's a fact. You can take uh, white wine, it'll take red wine stains out of the carpet. Now get this, you can even take uh, white wine and you can get grease stains out of your driveway and your garage. So, you know, what What beverage is is that versatile? You can take wine, if you don't like the wine, you can use your wine to to uh, disinfect your vegetables, to clean your windows, to do all kinds of things. And so I, I really wanted to do those last three segments today to show you that wine isn't really all about just drinking wine out of the glass, you know, as the varietal that it was intended to be because it has such versatility. You know, you can do things with wine that you could never do with spirits, but you can do things with wine that you can do with spirits. And that's really, I think, very exciting. You want to make a margarita? You can make a mar margarita out of wine. I gave you my recipe earlier today. Um, you, you can take wine and you can substitute it for almost any vodka recipe. And that's a fact. You know, any martini that you can make, take a dry white wine, use that instead of vodka. Use that instead of gin. And you're going to find out that you can make a pretty good drink. Not as high in alcohol, pretty delicious if a wine isn't good, if a red wine isn't good, make sangria out of it. 
And there are so many really good red sangria recipes out there. If a white wine isn't good, you can add juices to it. And it's absolutely fantastic. You know, wine, even at its worst, can be very delicious. And that's what I love about wine. All right. Uh, I have pontificated enough, I suppose, but that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. You know, check out our website, grapeencounters.com. You, know, you can sign up for our newsletter there at grapeencounters.com. Drop me a note. A lot of people have been dropping me notes lately, and I'm really happy to get your questions. I'll answer them. I'll call you. I'm really happy to communicate with you. I really appreciate you being here with me. It's just been very humbling to have you as my audience. I appreciate you so much, and I will be back here next week to serve you, as I always have for the past 10 years. We will see you then. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 